Hello and welcome to RTE Radio 1's The Rolling Wave podcast with me, Aoife Nick This is our second episode dedicated to Donegal fiddle music and tonight we look at some of the tradition's most legendary figures. Well, last week we celebrated 40 years of Cardis Nevidilary on the programme and uh, we were up in Nadiribuga in County Donegal surrounded by fantastic fiddle players and you can listen back to that programme on our website at any time. But on the programme last week, we mentioned many of the iconic figures of the Donegal fiddle playing tradition. So tonight we're going to hear some music from just some of those musicians. And the tunes you're going to hear tonight were selected by two very fine Donegal fiddle players who are with me on tonight's programme as well. Mairead Niwaini and Dermot McLaughlin, a man who has a very long association with Cardis Navidulary as well. So we're going to begin with a tune from, I suppose, one of the best-known Donegal fiddle players. This is John Darty. Chin O John Doherty and that was Bonnie Kate and that is from that classic record The Floating Bow Agus Foltaroiv Maradni Waney Agus Dermot McLaughlin Chwig on Rolling Wave Dermot, uh, last week on the show about Cordes Navidulary, people were um, well talking about how isolated Donegal fiddle players were, even um, even amongst themselves, um, and that they wouldn't have had the opportunity to meet. But John Doherty was somebody who kind of passed those boundaries, wasn't he? He was uh, a well-known figure way back, wasn't he? He, he was indeed, and uh, you could say John had a, a, a bit of a circuit as well around parts of Donegal through, through his trade as a tinsmith and as a travelling musician but he, he was also picked up by many of the, the collectors like uh, Lomax, Ennis, Kieran McMahon and, and others uh, and that was great because it, uh, you could say it put a, a bit of a foundation stone in, into some of those uh, collections of sound recordings um, but you could say John was pretty much uh, an exception because there are relatively few uh, of the older players of that vintage in the archives I mean alongside John you would have some of the brothers uh, Mickey and Simon and you would have Frank Cassidy and one or two others uh, uh, John Josie McHugh I think um, um, John Natay as well John O'Gallagher uh, you know but, but it, was, it was scant it was scant enough Aoife, and, and the, the important thing for Cardius was to make sure that um, any of the younger people coming into the music had a chance to hear uh, music that wasn't easily available so like for us in the early days like in the 1980s and 90s that meant cassette tapes and I hope some of your listeners can identify <laughs> with a cassette tape. We, we would be nowhere without a cassette tape. Uh, w- why? Well, it, it was uh, the equivalent of your file sharing, like before uh, the mixtape, uh, before the mixtape or anything <laughs> like that. There, there was terrific trade trading tapes, and uh, like I remember when when I first met James Byrne, uh, it was cr- Christmas Eve, nineteen eighty two, and uh, not long after that, um, I started sending tapes tapes to James because James had a, an absolutely insatiable appetite and curiosity for uh, hearing music and also hearing other styles of playing 
And um, like most people like myself, Rab Cherry, Tom Trainer, Maureen Heave, kept kept a, a, a supply line of, of tapes going from all over the country uh, to James. And the incredible thing with James was like he, he had a, a really broad appreciation of all kinds of fiddle playing, all kinds of styles, but he kept his own very distinctive accent. And I think the work of Carriages individually was very much focused on allowing um, other people to, to appreciate that kind of that individual strength that you would get uh, in players like James. Um, you yourself, how did you get involved with Curtis Navigilary in the first place? Because you weren't brought up in Donegal, I don't think. Uh, no, um, I'm, I'm from, from Derry and I remember very well the, the first Carriages event in Glanty's in 1883. My, my brother Joseph, uh, the piper and fiddle player and myself, uh, we were invited by Keevan McKee and it was, first of all, a great adventure to go somewhere as far away and the exotic as Glanty's. Um, some of the highlights from then f- were, I suppose, first of all, seeing all, all of these fiddle players that we had heard of, you know, and um, like through through programmes on Red and the Geltata, we would have been familiar with James, Frank McHugh, Con Cassidy, the Campbells, etc. But to see some of these people in, in the room was just marvellous now to hear them playing. Um, w- one of the highlights back then as well was there used to be a set dinner at, at the Highlands Hotel and the uh, the minute steak with mushroom sauce and chips was <laughs> just the last word. <laughs> Believe it or not, uh, you know, music mm. is the food of everything, I suppose. I love the sideways things, you know, they get people hooked on music, it's brilliant. Um, octave, octave playing, we're going to listen to a track in a second, and octave playing is a big feature of Donegal fiddle playing, and this tune, The Pigeon on the Gate, this is played by John and Simon Doherty. Tell me a little bit about this track and then I'll play it. Well, well, uh, well I think th- th- this is a terrific track um, because it's, it's a style of playing uh, that you don't really hear these days. Um, the, the facility that th- these players had to swap tunes into different keys and then find an octave for them was really remarkable and there's all kinds of, of thinking about why, why they would do that um, I think my favourite explanation is just it's very euphonious and creates a, a beautiful sound and if you had two fiddles together in a house and there was a lot of clattering on the floor, uh, octaves was a good way to cut through that John Agus, Simon Doherty and Chinagazi the Shen and the Pigeon on the Gate. Um, Raid Nivaini, Dermot McLaughlin was just talking about James Byrne and as we heard last week he was and he is a huge figure in Donegal fiddle playing. What what makes him such an inspiration, such a good fiddle player? Uh, James was from a very old tradition, you know. He, he learned from his father, obviously, um, and his neighbours, Every neighbour seemed to have a fiddle in the house and he was brought up with that music, which was a very unusual set of tunes and uh, dances. And he was very, also very well versed on old songs from that area, especially the Gaelic songs. So, you know, the man was steeped in the tradition and he was one of the last people in that area that remembered back, you know, to the older musicians and 
understood the value of it and he had that old style as well with him which was a completely ancient style you know I mean he he played like no one else he had a, a, a different style to anyone else I heard in Donegal and we just revered him loved everything he played and he played it with great authority and he knew how important his style was and that was very important to us Tell me about these tunes. We're going to play Reveen Nasalich August, the curly-haired boy. Well, well, th- these are two... Like, this is a really super performance by, by James Byrne. It's taken from the, the, the Brass Fiddle album that came out uh, as a vinyl record way back in, I think it was 1987. And uh, sometimes when I'm... If I was teaching, you know, with the Glen Column Kill Fiddle School, I, I would often use this track and, and get the students to listen to it Attentively and obsessively, because of the uh, the command, uh, said a wee while ago about the command that James had. Well, if you listen particularly in, in, the, in the first tune, um, for the, the the way the way James plays a, a drone with his fourth finger on the G string to sound a D, it's the accuracy and the crystal clarity of it is exceptional. So it's always worth a listen. and the curly-haired boy. Um, and I'm here with Mairead Niwaini and uh, Dermot McLaughlin and we are talking about uh, Donegal fiddle players. Um, we celebrated 40 years of Cordes Navigilary on the programme last week. So we're, tonight we're talking about some of the figures that we spoke about on last week's programme. Vincent Campbell. Um, Mairead, tell me about Vincent Campbell, uh, who only died in 2018 and then his brother... Um, Jimmy uh, only passed away last year, I think. Yes. Um, so a very musical family. Amazing. From the Glen of Glenties. Oh, fantastic people. Uh, they were like, uh, when you had Vincent and Jimmy in your company, you felt you were at a night out, you know, just full of fun and great music. Into the dance music, you know, a lot of highlands and mazurkas and you all you know you'd know by their style that they played for dances because they always had the perfect rhythm you know and uh, Vincent always a great command of the bow fantastic bow hand uh, amazing triplets you know he he was always uh, just pushing the the his his ability always you know he's he was an incredible musician and uh, a great man for the story behind the so- behind the tunes as well and then of course Jimmy a total gentleman we miss him terribly here in Donegal because he was one of the elders and in recent years we play we would meet up a lot with him and you know he had great stories about uh, the house dances and the characters around his area and of course these people spoke beautiful um Glenties or uh, 
Nakruha Garma Irish, you know, they had beautiful Gaelic and and great old stories in Irish. So like when these people go, you know, there's a lot of richness has left us, you know. Um, Dermot, you picked a tune from Vincent um, Willen Namaji. Tell me about this tune. Well, um, it's a it's a four part reel, and I think it shows really Vincent at his most relaxed, flamboyant, colourful, uh, almost unruly best on 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 the fiddle because <laughs> he he could he could really he could really do anything he wanted, you know. And uh, um, I remember very clearly when when we recorded this for the for the brass fiddle, you know, the first trip we made up to Glenty's to do the recording Rab Cherry went looking for Vincent Vincent was up putting a roof on a house and he, and he says oh hello Rab what brings you up here <laughs> you know, you know and we don't as if he didn't know as if he didn't know like, uh, but whenever we got the recording started and, and Vincent came into the room it was a really stunning experience like it was the, the amount of energy and colour that that man could put into a tune was something else and Nothing was ever the same twice, but but this this um, track here, and we used it for the very opening track of the of the brass fiddle. It's like an absolute immersion into into what this whole culture of fiddle playing is about. Vincent Campbell there playing Willin and Maggi. Um, Dermot McLaughlin Mairead Neve when you mentioned there the bow and uh, Vincent's command of the bow is that is that the secret of Donegal fiddle playing in the in the bow? I mean all those triplets there that um, that Vincent had in that tune. Well, I I always think that the um, at the heart of it, I think the the bow was what will give you the distinctive um, sound or the, or the feel or the, or the contours in somebody's music. Um, because I suppose when you think about it, you know, there's only so many ways you can play the note on the strings. Uh, so it's really what happens with with the bow arm, I think, that determines the the rhythm and the swing and the punk and the punctuation. Um, and like, it's really interesting when you when you compare the like what we heard from Vincent there with what we heard a wee while ago from from James and prior to that with the the Doherty brothers. Um, you know, they're all they're all from the 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 Donegal region, but they're in entirely different rhythms and sounds, but there's still something common and common uh, among all those players. And, um, you know, it's, it's it's almost too easy to say it's it's just a, a staccato bulwark or detached bulwark. There's there's more to it than that. But but I, I do I do think that, um, you know, the, the, the way that the music was so closely intertwined with dancing meant that somebody who was going to be considered a good player Obviously, had to have empathy with what the dancers needed. So, like a player, somebody who who was good at playing for performance, um, probably would not be the first call for for the dancers. 
and, and, and maybe vice versa. But I think when you hear, when, like Maria put her finger on it there, like the, the Campbell lads really had the, the rhythm of the dance, dance all the way down their bow arms. Beautiful. Oh, but definitely, like when you hear Mullen the Maji there, you just want to dance. Like the the that rhythm that Vincent has, you know, that's that's truly coming from the house dances, you know. And if you didn't have that rhythm, you may as well stay at home, because people were. I, I remember playing tunes in Hudies one night and everyone talking through it. And my father said, you know, the old boys at the bar are saying all that music going to waste and nobody dancing. <laughs> so they talk through it, you know. So like that's that's how people looked at tunes, you know. Um, I, I'm going to skip a, a little bit on the running order here, uh, uh, yeah. Dermot, if that's all right. The, you, you had brought in a track by Neely Boyle, and, um, which sort of is completely different to what Vincent Campbell just played. Tell me about this track and we might say a word about Neely himself afterwards. Y- yes, um, the, the, this track by Neely Boyle, The Pigeon on the Gate and Jenny Picking Cockles. Um, it's really hard, hard to know what what words to use sometimes when we're talking about <laughs> talking about, about Neely Boyle. It's a bad sign for radio though. <laughs> I know. Uh, but but the reason I think this track is important for people to, to listen to, uh, like very selfishly, I would say it's because I love it. <laughs> and, and I'll never forget the, the first time I heard it. Actually, it was at a Scarlet in Ennis. I think it was 1977. Uh, I was in Paddy Glacken's fiddle class and Paddy brought in a tape recorder one day and he played this track. And I think everybody in the class was stupefied. We just didn't know what to make of it. Um, um, f- first of all, it's, it's a tune that we all know, the pigeon on the gate, but it's in a really unusual key. And then uh, the fiddle is tuned high, and, and, and there's this almost unearthly rhythm and pulse and swing in it. And um, I suppose I, I've been listening to it for, I don't know, maybe 30 or 40 years, and I, I never get tired of it. And, and one thing that always jumps out at me, and I often refer to this when I'm doing fiddle classes um, you know so much of the rhythm comes from the bow but you don't always have to be using bow triplets and staccato to, to get that rhythm and if you listen to this uh, track by Neely Boyle uh, it's, there, there is no uh, bow triplets and it's all finger work yeah. and it's magic it's, uh, it's a blow your mind fiddle blow it's your mind fiddle <laughs> <laughs> some fantastic fiddle playing and um, Dermot McLaughlin that would definitely challenge all your preconceptions or my preconceptions or one's preconceptions about uh, the, the, the staccato bowing definitely because as you say they're not there I sat and listened to it <laughs> in great detail and uh, he was an interesting figure wasn't he Neely Boyle because he was born in the States he, he moved home I think when he was about eight but he had a sort of semi-professional music career yes yeah very very interesting like he he, he, he played um he was the soundtrack and the special effects for silent movies, for for example, um, and um, on, to, on like on top of all that, he he carried a large repertoire of song and Irish. Um, he had a, he had a remarkable appreciation for ornamentation and uh, embellishment, and you know if you listen to to him speaking on any of the recordings, and and the, the attention he paid to the sounds of nature as well, um, 
I think you hear that in the recording we just heard because if you listen, well, if I, when I listen to the ornamentation that he does, um, it, like it's very lavish and it's lush and it's rich and it sounds like warbles and trills as much as rolls or cuts. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a rounder uh, type of ornamentation, very virtuosic. I've never ever heard anybody um, play play like that. I've heard plenty of people try to play like that, but I've yeah. never heard anyone pull that off. I remember going to see his his widow when I was young. Uh, I went over to Cronachalog when where I was asking her, you know, trying to find out what what was he like as a person, you know, and she said when the children would go to bed, that's when the fiddle would come out. And she said he'd play till morning, but he, she said he'd play just a little phrase and he'd go over and over and over that little phrase. And apparently the embe- the embellishments, uh, they, they all came from his mother used to lilt the tunes to him. So with the lilt of her voice, he, he was trying to emulate how to get the ornamentation in that way. So that's why it's, they're so lush and so... Um, they, they just fit in so lovely into the rhythm of the tune, you know. So she was saying he used to go off then, maybe in the summertime at about three in the morning and cycle up to Dunlouis, which was about 10 miles away from his house, to listen to the bird song in the morning uh, so that he could emulate the birds. And so what you were saying there, Dermot, is correct. He used to, as you know yourself, he used to just try and listen to the birds singing and then try and emulate that on the instrument. And I, I remember one time we were talking to Vincent Campbell as well. We were talking about the ornamentation that, that Neely could do and Vincent told me this fantastic theory about how Neely Boyle could do so much ornamentation. <laughs> Vincent said the rumour was that at night when Neely went to sleep he would, he would put his left hand in a jug of seal oil and that would keep his joints <laughs> nice and supple. Well, what would the what would the wife think of that? <laughs> oh dear! Oh, stop! That's a hoot. Um, Maria, last last week on the show, you were talking about your father playing music, and Claire Freel was talking about him and how encouraging he was to young musicians. And I asked you to pick a recording of him playing, and uh, it's the humours of Balin Afad and the the, the second wee, the wee pickle toe towel. Yeah. Tow, yes. Um, t- Tell me about that second tune in particular. Yeah, well, these two tunes were, were actually collected in the workhouse in Dunfanaghy. So it was after the famine. So these tunes are very old. And Frank, Francie got, got them from a, a, an old manuscript. I think they were called, it was called The Music of Olu. And it had uh, very old uh, uh, transcriptions of tunes that were collected in Donegal around that time. Beautiful tunes. And... Uh, the the wee pickle tow is like a, a version of out in the ocean, you know, um, but uh, with with a different like with a different uh, turn in it. But it's it, they're they're old tunes, you know. They're again you're going back pre-famine, I'd say, with these tunes because, like, I've never heard them played by other fiddles in the vernacular. We'll say of Donegal fiddle music, you know, but uh, they're 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 very melodic wee tunes. And uh, uh, delighted that Francie kind of picked them up again and started playing because most of his tunes would have come from his mother, I was telling you, Rosheva Groshevoda. And uh, she was from Ireland's and the Rosses. And she she got she got a lot of her music from Tarla Maximia, as uh, 
the the paper here in Gidor the and Pibara Moor. But uh, like his old tunes were actually from this area, uh, old marches, old uh, highlands and uh, Germans were the other ones and mazurkas. So they were his favourite types of tunes, you know. He said with reels, he wouldn't play many reels at dances. He would play, he said, polkas because they were a simpler rhythm. And when people were dancing, they wanted to know where the one was, you know. So he said he'd play a lot of polkas at weddings or at house dances because people were able to get the rhythm fast out of those. So many there, and he was playing uh, the humours of Ballinafad and the wee pickle tau. Um, Dermot McLaughlin, uh, Frank Cassidy. So uh, we were talking about collectors earlier on, and, and Seamus Ennis visited Donegal and was very impressed, I think, by Frank Cassidy. Um, tell me a little bit about about Frank, if you can. Uh, he seemed to be a sort of a, a lonesome or a, a lonely figure. Is that fair? Um, yeah, I think that's a fair comment from from what what we know of Frank. Um, you know, he, he's a person who who um, seemed to be hovering around the the edges of the community in some way, but he was very much at the heart of it in terms of the culture and the music and and the the language. And um, you know, I was I was looking through some of Seamus Ennis's uh, notes from his collecting days as part of a project that uh, Nicky Hogan asked me to get involved in uh, during the lockdown, actually. Um, and it was really interesting seeing what Seamus Ennis had to say about Frank. Like, f- first of all, um, Ennis was consistent in his view that Frank Cassidy was the best fiddle player he'd ever heard, which is a remarkable, uh, just a fantastic thing to hear. But, but Frank, Frank also came across as kind of a bit elusive and uh, maybe a wee bit slippery. He didn't want to get pinned down too much by uh, Seamus Ennis. And Seamus even talks about more or less going and pitching himself outside Frank's house waiting for him to come home but Frank would be somewhere else uh, and he, I think he, Frank managed to give Seamus even the run around he sent him out to Malin Moore and Glen Colum Kill one day he said there's some fiddler from Inishone out there you might want to, <laughs> <laughs> you might want to. it turns out the fiddler from Inishone was actually John Doherty <laughs> but, but, but Frank's uh, like, when you hear Frank Cassidy playing again it's one of those uh, remarkably uh, distinctive sounds. Uh, his cousin Con speculated that the, you know the, that very strange sound came from the way Frank played the fiddle with the bow very close to the to the bridge, which would account for a lot of it. But there, there's a there's a kind of an eeriness and a distance to, to it as well, which is um, uh, highly unusual. It's very dark. It can sound very dark sometimes. Yeah, it um, was also wasn't he? You know, he hadn't played for a while on, when Seamus Ennis came upon him because there was no place for him to play. You know. That's right, and he, so he wasn't kind of up to, up to par as they say. So just imagine what he would have been like. Uh, but I, I always found 
from talking to people that he was a very sophisticated person and, you know, was into uh, fixing clocks and, um, you know, uh, mechanical things. So obviously an amazing mind, you know. And and the air we're going to hear on Lund of um, the Blackbird, um, like the airplane is just gorgeous, but the, t- the fiddle technique is very complex too. I mean, all that third position and the the perfect tuning and and all of that. Where where did he get all that, or would he have, would he have been self taught and all that? Well, I, b- I believe so. Um, but at the, at the same time as well, if like the the you know it's co- it's commonly acknowledged that the standard of uh, fiddle playing down around Teelan and Kilcar and Glencon and Kill the Southwest was very very high. Um, like I think the way Seamus Ennis put it was. There was a nest of uh, <laughs> fiddle players. <laughs> nest. Uh, and, uh, I love like, it. And Frank Cassidy was the, the best of them. But, but then others say Frank's brother Johnny was better again. Like you just never, you never know. But if, if like, you know, if Frank was a yardstick mm-hmm. and somebody was better than that, I, I just wonder what that would have sounded like. But you know, when when you listen to, to Frank's playing as well, um, it occurs to me that sometimes the sound and, and the phrasing and the, the you know, this the smooth passage between notes and phrases, it would almost remind you of somebody whistling, mm. you know. Mm. And I, I know from looking through um, Ennis's notes as well that sometimes he recorded, he annotated tunes from Frank from his whistling rather than from his playing. And also, you know, Frank easily played third position. And like that that was one thing the Doherty's did, well, John Doherty did as well, at ease, he, he, like they they played in all these strange keys, and uh, so did Frank Cassidy. So there was that sophistication of like nearly semi-classical, but these are supposed to be folk musicians, you know, traditional, you know, uh, folk musicians. But the, like they were, they were testing and pushing their art to the limit, you know. Well, let's have a listen to him play that air on on Lund of the Blackbird. But just before that, there's a a little line from Seamus Ennis speaking about Frank Cassidy. In Teelan, south of Carrick, at the mouth of Glencolumcilla in south-west Donegal, there was a great bunch of good fiddle players in the old days. When I got there, there were only about four extant. And of these, a man named Frank Cassidy was by far the best. I was told that he had a repertoire of rare old tunes, if he could be persuaded to touch a fiddle. I finally persuaded Frank to handle his fiddle, and out of practice though he was, his performance was, to me, a revelation. I wrote some precious music from him, and though playing marvellously, he'd stop now and again and say, Ilgaran. It's no use. I can't play it. But I'd persevere and he'd continue. Thank you. 
Frank Cassidy playing on Lone Dove and um, this, as anyone listening has gathered by now, is a sort of a whistle-stop tour uh, through some of the legendary figures of Donegal fiddle playing. And actually, the, the next uh, fiddle player we're going to mention is Con Cassidy. And um, on the Cordes Navitillary CDs of Con Cassidy, there are some excerpts of him speaking. And he's a, a particularly self-deprecating fiddle player. So we might have just a quick listen to him and then we might have uh, a talk about him just in a second. So Con Cassidy. What age were you when you began to play music, Con? Ah, well, I don't really know to be around about 10, 10, 10 or 11. And did you hear music in your own house when you were a child? No. There's no music in our house. No. You heard the music in other houses? Well, the next door neighbour was a sort of a fiddler. What was his name? He was Paddy Barron. Patrick Barron. And he was all right for dancing and all that, you know, but... Not like the great fiddle players that's going now, you know. So uh, he had a fiddle there. and I used to be old as a child, really keeping company with his old aunt that was there. He was always away at night, you know. He was bigger, six or seven years older than I was. And so I used to be, it was a tin fiddler, I remember. And I used to, you know, spend the time. And she used to be annoying me, you know asking me questions, and I could, you know, I could tell her sometimes, trying to get on to a wee bit of a tune, you know, and, and uh, that's the way I picked up a little bit gradually, you know. Then later on, maybe when I was 12, my father bought a cheap little fiddle for me, you know. From that on, I was scratching away, you know, but I never got far. Or I'll hardly get any further now. <laughs> no. Scratching away and uh, he's unlikely to get further. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh, yeah. So um, clearly he, he did a lot more than scratching away. Um, Dermot, you, you knew Con Cassidy and uh, tell me, does that, uh, was that typical of his, of his attitude to, to his music? It's a, it's a perfect example and I'm sure Mairead can back this up as well. <laughs> yeah. he, he, he could keep that up for... I was going to say hours, but days and weeks. He, he <laughs> yeah. could, like he could be out all night in the rusty mackerel playing with Con, <clears throat> and you could call up to the house the next day, and have a cup of tea, and say, Con, would you be into playing a tune? And Con's immediate response would be, I can play no fiddle. <laughs> sure, what sure, what would I be doing with fiddle? Having um, done the night before, like the whole the, night. Sorry. I and he, he was, I he was a very, very kind, generous man as well with his time and his music, but remarkably funny. Um, but and he passed on a, a, a fierce amount of music, you know. And Con was another example of um, somebody, you know, when, when he got back out playing again with a social circle, uh, tunes would start kind of resurfacing, you know. I think it's f- fair to say, Maria, as well, that there's a whole stream of music that would have been lost now if Con hadn't been brought oh, brought back into the circles. Definitely, right? you know, he had such a beautiful repertoire and the way he played them, not typically. That, that strong Donegal style at all. It was uh, something like his character, you know, uh, unassuming and but this beautiful filigree of uh, notes. And he used to always wear this tie that was a sort of an open stitching tie. And I always thought the tie correlated with his tunes because there was all this. It was just like an, a, a bit of crochet done with, with on the fiddle. It was so 
different to John Doherty's plane or the Campbell's plane, but equally as Donegal, we'll say, in, I don't know, attitude maybe. <laughs> you know, when you hear Con Cassidy as well, it's a reminder that, that this is a social uh, this is a social activity, you know, and it's part of a massive European tradition of folk music and entertainment and conversation and socialising. And um, it will be wrong just to say that these people were fiddle players. There were an awful lot more than that. Oh, and and what, what they passed on to people is more than just the music. And Con had an amazing wife called Mary Kate. And Con would start playing, you know, and we'd be getting into the serious music. And then Mary Kate would throw in play the speaking waltz con <laughs> or you know she would have a few favorite you know but you know it was that character you know the character and the fun and the camaraderie and the welcome they'd give you but they had a great uh, command of the local people the local people did listen they knew it was special they knew like whenever you'd been the rusty mackerel and con Cassidy play a solo you wouldn't hear a pin drop because people knew this was special and that he sh- should be listened to, you know. And the same with James. And uh, th- they had that that old, you know, f- maybe they got it from their parents. You listen to these musicians because these are special, you know. We have a track here from Con. Uh, would you introduce this for me, uh, Dermot? It's The Deer, the deer Tobacco. Uh, yes, it's a, it's a terrific example of Con's real playing and and. You know, if you saw Con playing, you didn't see an awful lot happening. Sometimes it looked he looked very like fragile and reserved when he was playing. But when you listened, uh, it was very delicate, very very sprightly music. And in this track in particular, it's from his second CD. It's great to think that Con Cassidy has two CDs out. <laughs> uh, it's, it's one of the highlight tracks, in my opinion. The Deer Tobacco, Tobacco Deer. there on fiddle um we can't possibly fit everybody into this program and uh, we're just touching some of these uh, some of these great musicians i mean tommy people so many other people that it'd be great to to talk about but one musician that i do have a track here from um mary the wisp i think is the track isn't it francie darug uh, tell me about this track dermot francie darug o'bairn uh, Fran- francie um who Maria had mentioned a while ago, Francie and his brother Mickey were really significant figures um, in the southwest of Donegal. They were uh, based in Kilcar. Um, Fr- Francie himself spent uh, some time in Scotland and he, he was a, an enormous fan of Scottish music, James Scott Skinner, Mackenzie Murdoch, players like that. And he had a staggeringly diverse repertoire. I, I remember the first time I saw Francie in action. It was um, on this famous trip I did on Christmas Eve 1982 uh, Tommy Kitt took me on um, started off visiting James Burns, then Kitty Shan then Con Cassidy and then we finished <laughs> up in Francie Jarrigs and um, Francie in, Francie in early January or <laughs> yeah <laughs> well, well, well Francie was on his way out to Midnight Mass you know and, and when he heard there was a, a strange fiddle player in the house he stopped shaving actually and came into the kitchen and he stood playing the fiddle for about five hours I think it was must have been near five or six in the morning when I got back to Derry. I, I never heard I, I never heard anything like it um, in terms of the variety of music. 
uh, versions of tunes and the sheer power and, and the rhythm it was totally unlike anything else and and the reason I think this track is important it, it really hammers home the point that Maria was making you know that that these are uh, like accents as much as they are like styles and I think that's really important Nancy Darug O'Byrne and Jin Alcasa. It's more in a sup, isn't it? Or Mary or the Wisp. I think it's uh, down as on the CD cover. Um, well, we're close to the end of the show here, but I should say as well that uh, Curtis Navigillary are celebrating 40 years this year, and this is our second programme about Donegal fiddle playing, marking that anniversary. And um, there is a website, donegalfiddlemusic.ie, and a lot of the CDs we've spoken about tonight are available through that uh, website as well and so you can you can uh, feast on Donegal <laughs> fiddle players uh, at any time through that website so Dermot McLaughlin and um, Maraidney Waney uh, Rob Cherry last week spoke you know uh, about the, the many musicians from outside the county who have championed this uh, style of music Maraid you mentioned Paddy Glacken I, I think Sean Paddy Glacken Keen. has yeah. to be mentioned and Sean Keane when you think of Sean Keane's first album was called Gusty's Frolics and he all, always you know, he always championed uh, uh, John Doherty and said how much those kind of, especially technicians, would influence him. And he he was very he appreciated Donegal music, like a, a man that was his music was steeped in County Clare, but he had this appreciation. And of course, Paddy Clacken and his father, you know, it was Paddy first started recording some of these unusual tunes back in the day and uh, always giving encouragement to young people like ourselves coming along. So, you know, he um, these two people have to be mentioned, definitely uh, associated with Donegal music, definitely. We're going to finish with another tune. And uh, Dermot, I was thinking we might play a tune of yourself and Khan because uh, he was a good friend of yours, I think. And um, Maraid was playing lots of music on the programme with us last week and you weren't able to be there. So, so we might play Francie Burns. Tell me about... Uh, this tune and we might well, f- finish with this yeah, yeah well it, it was always great fun playing along with Con because um, there was always an element of uncertainty about, <laughs> about um, <laughs> what the tune would be and then well, I suppose more to the point how fast he was going to go uh, and I, I loved I loved playing with him because um, I was more interested in listening to what he was doing so um, I was always like half of my brain was in listening mode and half was in, in playing mode and it was just a delight to, to get to play with him and we did a few um, I wouldn't call them gigs like, but we played together a few times at, at, in Glen Column Kill and um, I think a couple of times we, we were in the Tradition Club, club in Slattery's uh, over the years um, myself my brother Joseph Dermot Byrne and Con Cassidy uh, and that was a fantastic experience, especially the nine-hour car journey from <laughs> from, from Donegal. But 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 you'll he, you'll hear like on on this track just the, the just the, the the kind of vim and the energy that Con could bring into it. You know, um, you know for 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 a man who was kind of so reticent about his music when he got playing, it was full steam ahead. 
Look, we'll listen to that now. This is Dermot McLaughlin and Con Cassidy playing Francie Burns. Raidney Waney, who's in Snidderi Bega, Gurramila Mila Mahagat. Agus Dermot McLaughlin, Gurramila Mahagat, Suppression. Thanks for listening to the Rolling Wave podcast. For rights reasons, the music here is shorter than in the original broadcast. So if you'd like to hear the full tracks, you can go to rte.ie forward slash radio one forward slash the rolling wave. And this programme was first broadcast on the 4th of June 2023. Good day and Hyedorella, Goramina Mahagi, Agaslan.